It's Thursday, November 21st. I'm Oscar Ramirez in Los Angeles, and this is The Daily Dive. Three teens in Alabama were tired of playing video games and decided to make a YouTube video. They wanted to make a To Catch a Predator style video, so they set up some fake online dating profiles saying they were minors, and all it took was two days, and they made a contact with a local teacher. The action was swift after they posted their video confronting him. Anna Claire Vollers, reporter for AL.com, joins us for Hive versus Predator. Next, we had critical testimony in the impeachment hearings. Ambassador to the European Union Gordon Sondland testified that there was indeed a quid pro quo in demanding that Ukraine investigate Burisma and the Bidens in exchange for military aid and a visit to the White House. Sondland also threw everyone under the bus saying that Mike Pompeo, Mike Pence, and Mick Mulvaney all knew what was going on. My producer, Victor Wright, joins us for more. Finally, for generations, General Electric was the breeding ground for CEOs and business leaders. Now, Amazon has taken that spot. Amazon employees are taking the 14 leadership principles they learn while on the job and are applying them to the startups and businesses they go on to run. Dana Mattioli, reporter for The Wall Street Journal, joins us for how Amazon is America's new CEO factory. It's news without the noise. Let's dive in. You're coming to Walmart at 12.15. So hey, he came here to meet an underage kid. He's here to meet an underage kid. Underage kid. Wow, you've been to Ohachi, Weaver, wow. everywhere. Hey, he works for the Calhoun County Board of Education, and he just came here to meet an underage kid. Joining us now is Anna Claire Vollers, reporter for AL.com. Thanks for joining us, Anna. Yeah, thanks for having me. We're going to be talking about these Alabama teens who set out to catch a child predator they ended up getting a teacher and another gentleman. This group of friends, they call themselves the Hive. They're just a group of high school friends. They were sitting around playing Xbox and were looking for ideas to make YouTube videos. And they decided on trying to catch somebody in this fashion. And they did. They caught up two people. Anna, tell us a little bit about this whole story. It comes out of Calhoun County, which is a pretty rural area in the eastern part of Alabama. And these three 18-year-olds have been friends forever. They're high school seniors. Once they decided they wanted to try to catch a child predator, they started making fake online dating app accounts on Grindr and Tinder and some apps like that. And what I kind of found the most disturbing was that it took less than a day for them to find people who were willing to talk with them, even though they said that they were underage. Because you have to be 18 to sign up for a lot of these dating apps. Once they started making correspondences with people, they'd specifically say, oh, I'm 17, I'm 14. And they said it multiple times to have it on the record. So later on, if some of these people were saying, oh, I didn't know they were underage, they already had it there. They were really uh, pretty smart about the whole thing. And I've seen some of the chat logs. They would talk about, oh, well, I can't talk to you until I'm out of class or something like that. So it was very, very clear that they were in high school to these guys that they were chatting with. And once the men started sending them explicit photos, they apparently did a Google search for explicit photos of like adults and would send those to the men so that they're not in trouble for sending, um, you know, any kind of underage explicit photos. Their big fish came two days after they first started. And this one had happened to be a teacher. That's what intrigued them the most. They said, okay, this is a teacher. He might be endangering kids. Let's go after this guy. How did that come out? The teacher wanted to meet. And so they set up a meeting at the local Walmart because it's a public place. Figuring if this guy was possibly dangerous, at least they wouldn't be in a 
an area that didn't have a lot of people. So they met him around midnight in the Walmart and they had one of the guys stand around in the appointed area. And then they waited for the teacher to approach him. And once he did, the other guys jump out with their camera. The minute the teacher sees the camera, starts walking away. Like, it seems like he has realized that something's gone horribly wrong here. And so they follow him through the Walmart yelling at him and asking, you know, what are you here for? And this guy works for the local school board and he's here to meet underage kids. And they follow him all the way out to his car in the parking lot of Walmart. That's where the video ends. And it was less than a day that the local school board had convened an emergency meeting. The police are investigating him and eventually this man gets arrested. And that's where we are now. The quickest of turnarounds there, as he said, the next day after the video was posted, they were already on it addressing the issue. And they're getting, you know, thousands and thousands of hits on their YouTube page also. So they're happy about that. Tell us briefly about the second man that they also caught, because that happened a few hours before the specific one that we were just talking about, the teacher. They set up another meeting with another guy who had been corresponding with one of their 14-year-old fake accounts. So that guy, they arranged to meet him at the Walmart earlier that evening, and he met them. And he ends up talking to them, actually, for quite a while. I was sort of surprised. And honestly, it looks as though he's admitting to trying to meet a 14-year-old at the Walmart. And so that man got arrested also the same day that the teacher did. And so there are two guys behind bars because of these teenagers. So these teenagers, Dylan Busby, Cody Waller, and Jackson Lewis. They call themselves The Hive, and as we mentioned, they're just friends for many years. They've been getting a lot of positive feedback, including law enforcement, although law enforcement did say, this is still a pretty stupid idea. You should should leave this work to law enforcement because it could be potentially dangerous. But they're also getting a lot of blowback from other people. I'm assuming comments online and things saying, you ruined this guy's career. You're targeting people on Grindr and LGBTQ community because you're going on these sites, but the kids are saying, no, in the case of the teacher, he could have potentially hurt a child. So they're very happy with what they're doing. One of them has a relative who I think had been molested in the past. And another one said, you know, he's been approached by strangers online looking for sexual encounters before. So this kind of thing is personal for them. And and they said, you know, it's something that kids their age have to deal with online when they're interacting with folks online. And so I think for them, it was a way to kind of stick up for their fellow teens and look out for other kids who you know may not have that kind of protection. One of the teens, his dad is a cop. I think he said he wants to maybe be a future FBI agent. One of the other kids says that he wants to be a cop also. Do they have any more plans to make more videos? When they talked to me, you could tell they were trying to say all the right things as far as, oh, we realize this is stupid. You know, we don't encourage anybody else to do this. And I asked him, okay, but are you going to make more videos? And they were like, Well, yeah, of course. (laughs) So they say, you know, after kind of all the buzz dies down a little bit, they are planning to keep this up. Anna Claire Vollers, reporter for AL.com. Thank you very much for joining us. Thank you. Was there a quid pro quo? With regard to the requested White House call and the White House meeting, the answer is yes. We all understood that these prerequisites for the White House call and the right White House meeting reflected President Trump's desires and requirements. Joining me now is my producer, Victor Wright. Thanks for being here, Victor. Thank you. We're going to be talking about some key testimony in the impeachment hearings. Gordon Sondland, he's the United States ambassador to the European Union. He testified and, I mean, he threw people under the bus. He said there was a quid pro quo 
with the president withholding aid so that Ukraine can start these investigations into the Bidens and Burisma and all that. Gordon Sondland might be the most important witness, save for somebody like John Bolton, who can maybe connect a few more of the dots. But Gordon Sondland was heavily involved in this pressure campaign for Ukraine. As I said, he threw a lot of people under the bus. He said that Secretary Perry, Ambassador Volker, and he worked with Rudy Giuliani. But he also mentioned that Mike Pompeo knew about this. Vice President Mike Pence knew about this. Basically, it was no secret. Everybody knew about it. And here's a little clip we wanted to play from Gordon Sondland's testimony where he basically said, we worked with Rudy Giuliani at the express direction of the president. Secretary Perry, Ambassador Volker, and I worked with Mr. Rudy Giuliani on Ukraine matters at the express direction of the president of the United States. We did not want to work with Mr. Giuliani. Simply put, we were playing the hand we were dealt. We all understood that if we refused to work with Mr. Giuliani, we would lose a very important opportunity to cement relations between the United States and Ukraine. So we followed the president's orders. Now, this is really key, and a lot of people took this as Gordon Sondland directly tying the president to this pressure campaign because it came from the top. And when he talks about how many people were involved and how many people knew about this, you kind of almost start to believe that this was the buzz, that the president knew all about this. And as I said before, he mentioned that Secretary of State Mike Pompeo signed off on this and Vice President Mike Pence was told about the link between the Ukraine military aid and the investigations. But I think Gordon Sondland later said that Mike Pence didn't really acknowledge him when he told him anything like that. One of the other things, President Trump's priority was that Ukrainians had to announce that they would start the investigation, not necessarily go through with it, but they at least wanted that announcement. Right, exactly. In the questioning, they asked, so in order to get that White House meeting, Ukraine would have to start those investigations into Trump's political rivals. And Sondland responded with, well, they would have to acknowledge and announce to the public that they were doing it in the first place. And they said, well, did they actually care if they did them? And Goldman said, I never really heard about that. And this points to it being more of a political affair. He didn't really care about the corruption or the investigation itself. He just needed it announced. It would look bad for Joe Biden if his son was brought up into this corruption probe at that point. Another clip that we wanted to play, Gordon Sondland in his opening testimony said that there was a clear quid pro quo. Was there a quid pro quo? As I testified previously, with regard to the requested White House call and the White House meeting, the answer is yes. We all understood that these prerequisites for the White House call and the right White House meeting reflected President Trump's desires and requirements. The president on his part, he spoke to reporters later and said, oh, you know, I told him that I didn't want a quid pro quo. I didn't want anything. I just wanted Zelensky to do the right thing. And this is a drawback to a phone call that Gordon Sondland had with the president where he just expressly asked them, what do you want out of these guys? And this is a big part of the president and the Republicans defense where he says, I didn't want anything. I didn't want a quid pro quo. I think it was important to also note that there was never a point where President Trump said this is a quid pro quo to right. Zelensky. But it was heavily implied and everyone in the circle 
according to Sondland, knew that it was implied. Yeah, let's play that clip when Gordon Sondland was talking about the president saying he didn't want anything. I just said, what do you want from Ukraine? I may have even used a four-letter word. And he said, I want nothing. I want no quid pro quo. I just want Zelensky to do the right thing, to do what he ran on, or, or words to that effect. One of the main criticisms of Gordon Sondland was that he couldn't really remember a lot of what was going on. He wasn't a note taker like some of the other witnesses giving testimony before. And he kept throwing it saying, well, the White House didn't give me documents that I wanted. They didn't release certain text messages. They didn't release things that could maybe make me remember some of the other details. Republicans jumped on that because saying he didn't really remember a lot of details. Democrats were very frustrated by some of that stuff as well. So just to end it off, Victor, you were talking about how this could mark a shift in this whole impeachment hearing, but still both Republicans and Democrats are seeing the same set of details in completely different ways. There's one report that says that this testimony could be the before and after phase where the before they were just trying to get some of the facts out there. And after now we're seeing a lot of the political machine move after this testimony, Republicans say, listen, the investigation never went down, which means Trump really shouldn't be impeached. Whereas Democrats are saying he was caught in a bribe, even though the bribe didn't go through it still happened, and that is enough for the impeachment to happen. Thank you, Victor. Thank you. Some of the, the executive recruiters I spoke to classified Amazon as a so-called academy company, and that an executive recruiter parlance is a term they designate to these big companies that have really good leadership programs that wind up spawning a lot of CEOs. Joining us now is Dana Mattioli, covering Amazon for The Wall Street Journal. Thanks for joining us, Dana. Great to be here. For decades, General Electric was the breeding ground for CEOs and top-level executives for the people that went there to work, they went through the rigorous management program that they had there, and then they went off to start other businesses and serve on boards and whatnot. The new company that has stepped in where people are going through the program and then moving on to other things is Amazon. They've become the new CEO factory. Dana, tell us a little bit about what's going on with it. For decades, GEO was the breeding ground for future CEOs under a CEO named Jack Welsh. And as they've become less relevant and sort of stumbled, Amazon and other tech titans have become the new conglomerates of the day. And Amazon in particular is one of the biggest companies in the U.S. in terms of employers. And they are churning out lots of CEOs and founders of big companies. I guess a lot of people in high level positions at Amazon tend to stay there for many years. So some of these other people are maybe not seeing as many opportunities at the highest levels there. So they're moving on to other places. One of the things that they're doing, though, is taking a lot of the leadership principles that they learn at Amazon and they're applying it to their own businesses. So Amazon has these tried and true 14 leadership principles that are sort of ingrained in anyone who's ever worked there to the point where they leave and they bring these leadership principles where they work next or they even like find themselves accidentally reciting them to their children. So when these people leave and they become CEOs elsewhere at places like Tableau or Zulily or Hulu, all have Amazon alumni who have either run it or founded it. They tend to bring a lot of that with them because it's what they know and it's what they've seen work. So what are some of these principles that they carry on? The top one is customer obsession. That's one that you hear Jeff Bezos talk about 
literally all the time. It's funny. The lead anecdote of the story is um, a CEO from a company called Latchel. He had worked at Amazon for three years, but his company also has 14 leadership principles and like five or six of them are exactly the same as Amazon. So that's (laughs) customer obsession, bias for action, earn trust, the list goes on. If you can help explain some of these bias for action, speed matters Mm -hmm. in business. So we take this to mean, you know, if a project comes up, get to it right away, respond to the customers, things like that. It also means move quickly. And Jeff Bezos speaks a lot about the concept of a two-way door, meaning that if you do something and it doesn't work out, you could always reverse it and unwind it. So you don't have to overanalyze something before getting involved in it or making a decision as long as you could reverse it if it turns out not to work. One of the principles that causes a little bit of, not controversy, but people have feelings on it on both sides, I guess it's have backbone, disagree, and commit. I think a lot of people might think that people can be a little too forceful or not nice to people. Is that one that causes a little bit of trouble? So at Amazon, they don't commit to this idea of social cohesion, where people are nice for the sake of being nice, rather than piping up and saying when they disagree about something or engaging in not arguments per se, but really getting to the merits of the way decisions are made. And sometimes that could come across as argumentative or could bristle some people. And that type of culture is not always for everyone. In the article you mentioned, part of the culture, some of it they're not taking with them to their new businesses. What we found when I spoke to a lot of these CEOs that were sort of bred at Amazon is that they're cherry picking which parts of it to bring to the next role. So that there's some aspects that they really like that they think translate well. And there's others where they disagree with the way Amazon handled something or they don't necessarily think it's a good fit for the new organization. One of the CEOs I spoke to said he didn't want to export their culture. He was striving for a more empathetic culture rather than sharp elbows or confrontation. But he did bring up over some other parts of what Amazon does. It must be a point of pride for them to kind of cultivate these talents and then have them go on and and start other businesses, startups, or run other big companies. How do they feel about losing some of this talent, though? I do think it is a point of pride. I spoke with Jeff Wilkie, who is the CEO of Amazon's consumer side of the business. And he basically said, you know, we'd love to keep all these people at Amazon, but he's excited to see them go off and start their own businesses or run existing companies. And it's definitely a point of pride. Everybody wants to work for a huge, successful company, but this also, from an outsider perspective, seems like just another feather in their hat as a great place to work if you do learn really good business principles there. And then as evidenced by all these people moving on to do bigger and better things, it just still seems like a great place to find employment. So some of the the executive recruiters I spoke to classified Amazon as a so-called academy company. And that in executive recruiter parlance is a term they designate to these big companies that have really good leadership programs that wind up spawning a lot of CEOs. So 20 years ago, you would have heard them refer to GE as the ultimate academy company. And they say that Amazon has that title along with places like Pepsi that have great management programs and spinoff CEOs. So for sure, I think people do view this as something that they want in their resume, where they could maybe get some of that leadership by osmosis. And if they don't want to stay, there's other options for them in the workforce, whether that's leading something else or working elsewhere. Dana Mattioli covering Amazon for The Wall Street Journal. Thank you very much for joining us. Thanks for having me. That's it for today. Join us on social media at Daily Dive Pod on both Twitter and Instagram. Leave us a comment, give us a rating, and tell us the stories that you're interested in. 
follow us on iHeartRadio, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. This episode of The Daily Dive is produced by Victor Wright and engineered by Tony Sorrentino. I'm Oscar Ramirez, and this was your Daily Dive.